Well, happy belated Thanksgiving. Thankful for you all. I want to invite you to turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be closing out this brief series called Faith of Our Forerunners with the most famous chapter of faith and forerunners. So it makes sense. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. This is like the spot. Youth, I don't have a guide for you this evening, but I would love it if you could turn or swipe to a Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to see a lot of famous biblical names shouted out in this cast of characters. And just maybe, just maybe, you might find something interesting about what we are going to be exploring tonight with these faithful forerunners. So now that you're with me there in Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at verses 1 to 16. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. That's a way of saying his testimony, his life, his offering still lives on and inspires us. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now what's going on there with Noah is saying they stood on the wrong side of what God had promised. And that every board and every hour spent trusting that this would happen was done in the midst of those who were scoffing and ignoring this dire warning. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. That means she considered God faithful. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, ouch, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the the seashore. She sells, Sarah, okay. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. You see that? 
They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What he's talking about here is they were looking ahead and they could see this inheritance, this promise, this thing sometime in the future. And they knew that they wouldn't ever move there in this life. But they trusted God nonetheless. Verse 14, rounding home now. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Well, I want to say a prayer that is the opening prayer of TNC's daily prayer. If you are looking ahead to the church's new year in Advent and you're interested in a new year resolution or a new way of praying for the season of Advent and beyond, you can look in our sermons and resources tab and under the um, sermons, you can find the TNC daily prayer. It's like a liturgy that you can take and you can pray. And this is the opening prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I want you to imagine this prayer that begins with creation and moves out in concentric circles to the first forerunners, then to Israel and all those that came after them, then to Jesus who was promised from them, and then even to us, the universal church that confesses God as Trinity. So it's a brief prayer, but it's a loaded prayer. And I want you to imagine it beginning like Hebrews 11 does with creation and moving further and further out through the halls of time. Hear this prayer if you would join me. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, God and father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. True and living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have mercy and hear our prayer. Amen. Well, as we get back into Hebrews chapter 11, let me first tell you about a meaningful assignment that Amy had in a sociology class her freshman year of college. How many of you have an assignment that has stuck with you from high school or college? You may be a few years removed from it, but it made an impact. Lynette is not feeling any assignments. That breaks Professor Sinclair's heart. But Amy had a meaningful assignment her very first year of college. In the sociology class, the assignment was to be paired with an exchange student as a conversation partner. They were supposed to log at least 15 hours together. Amy's conversation partner was named Soon Jin. She was from Korea. But she also went by Tabitha here in the States. On paper, they didn't have a lot in common. They had a pretty significant age difference. Amy was 17 years old. She was 30. But already they learned in their first meeting that though they were separated by age, there was a cultural difference there where a 30-year-old was not exactly viewed in the same way that a 30-year-old might be viewed here. 
So they were in a similar playing field, just in some sense, starting their adult life. So this and many other hours logged together were eye-opening and illuminating. And what they were supposed to do within these 15 hours were at least three things. They would introduce each other to the food that gives the other a taste of their culture. So Amy can tell you a story of how she went to a restaurant in Koreatown in North Dallas. And she was eating all these little plates. And she was asking what that one was, that one that looked a little interesting. And it was interesting how Tabitha just couldn't find the word until after Amy had it in her mouth. And she goes, oh, squid, squid, raw squid. Well, Amy was thinking about what would kind of typify this huge country with all this melting pot kind of cuisine. And then she goes, have you ever had a burger and fries? So a 17-year-old Amy took her to a burger and fry place, and she loved it. I think we did her a great disservice because she ate nothing but burgers and fries for a lengthy time after that. She probably should have stuck to the squid, but she enjoyed it. The second thing they had to do was take each other to a place that represents their culture. So Amy went to another shop in Koreatown, and Amy asked if she had ever been to, ready for it, Walmart. But really ask yourself, is there a more American place in this part of town than a Walmart? She took her to Walmart, and she loved Walmart. She bought so many things at that Walmart. The third thing they had to do was welcome each other into each other's apartments. Because there's something about sharing space, seeing how the other person lives, which is the point of the whole assignment and why it was so meaningful to Amy. Because it was more than just sharing meals, sharing time. They were sharing stories. Because what do you do when you start to get to know somebody? You start to pull out stories from your childhood. You start to talk about a story of something funny or weird that happened last week. And in and of themselves, the stories are really just a vehicle for trying to present to the other person, this is me. That you think about if you met with anybody else last week at Thanksgiving, and if these are people in your family that you've known for a long time, I bet they shared the same story you've heard every other Thanksgiving. There's something about how The telling and retelling of stories helps shape and ground us into who we are and where we are in our culture and world. So mostly they shared stories about themselves. Why? Because we are storytelling and story-shaped people. This is the first big idea that you need to understand as we enter into Hebrews chapter 11. And they tell these brief little nuggets of These stories. So we are a story shaped and story telling people. We tell stories to make sense of who we are and where we fit in the world. But now, as people of faith, we don't just have a Walmart story or a burger and fries story. We have an even bigger transnational story. It's the story of a king and a kingdom. And our faith, our trust, in that story, actually frames our life. Bigger than a burger, we can have our story swept up into God's story of blessing, 
promise and purpose. So Hebrews chapter 11 comes to us in the same way it did to the people who were the original audience. They needed to hear that real everyday people didn't have it all figured out too. That they suffered too. That they didn't have all of their hopes and dreams and goals realized also. The Bible is replete. Leilani read the psalm earlier of telling and retelling how life is hard, but God walks with us through it. And so as we've looked in this series, we understand that the stories of the Bible are less a morality tale and more a reality tale of how a faithful God works with unfaithful people routinely, consistently to bless them, to say, I promise that even if you don't see it all in this life, you will be blessed and kept in love and life even beyond death. And I promise that I'm going to join myself to you. You have a purpose. There is a plan. You can make a difference in love and faith and hope. God links himself, joins himself with us. And we wouldn't really know it if we didn't have these stories. And some of you think, I don't really have a story. And this is why the hatred that we see in our culture is so horrible. There is a modern poet that said, you are a story. Don't let yourself become a word. People in our culture have a way of saying, you're really nothing. You're not important. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. Or they say the kinds of words that I don't feel comfortable saying on this microphone. We have a way of slotting people and not exploring their story. I hope that you'll be inspired by these nuggets of these stories. And by the end of our time, I hope you'll be reminded of the bigger story with which you have a place. But first, we begin where chapter 11 begins. What is faith? And why and how is it linked to hope? Did you see that famous verse in chapter 11, verse 1? Now, faith is the substance. It's the stuff of the things that we can't see. It's what we hoped for, and it's assurance. I love what N.T. Wright says when he's thinking about this passage. Faith for Hebrews, he's talking about the book, is always closely linked to hope. Faith is looking at God and trusting him for everything. Okay, So faith is looking at the person and trusting him. Then N.T. Wright continues, while hope is looking at the future and trusting that person for it. So faith looks to God and says, I need you for strength, for purpose, for blessing, to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And when we get that situated and that grounded, then I can turn my eyes to the future. And even though it's a long way off, and even though I might not get everything I want, I can still look ahead and say, God, can't see it all clearly, but I'm going to still walk with you and trust you. And I'm going to trust that you'll bring me to a good end. In a word, 
And students, I want you to hang on to this because you can do a little bit of Greek work here. The New Testament is written in the Greek language, an ancient form of Greek. And really the word faith, that is a church word that may not mean much now because it's so overused. But the Greek word faith essentially means trust. So in a word, faith means trust. You've heard the cheesy illustration. It's one thing to say I have faith in this chair. It's another to stand on it and trust it will support my weight, even after all the pecan pie I ate. Hope, as we can deduce from this first verse, in a word, could also be expectation. I'm looking ahead, and I'm expecting a good end, even though I can't see it fully. But understand how these two work together. Ready? Hope needs a foundation of faith underneath it in order to transform it from optimism to assurance. Let me give you two illustrations. One is stupid and one is serious. Here's the stupid illustration. Imagine the stuff of a taco. You've got some pastor meat because I'm a pastor and that's my fantasy basketball team's name. Buckets all pastor. I like a pastor taco. That's the seasoned pork. And then you get it street style with onions and cilantro. The stuff of a taco. But it's not a taco until what? Duh. I told you it's a stupid illustration. You slide a tortilla under it. Amen, Isaac, my brother. Faith is what holds the thing together, gives it shape and purpose. That's the stupid one. Let me further illustrate it with a serious one. It is one thing to say he's in a better place. Line up a hundred Americans in the South and a hundred Americans will say to their children when a loved one dies, well, he's in a better place. It's one thing to say, ah, cheer up, it'll all work out in the end. Line up 100 Americans in the South who lost their job, who are facing an uncertain future, who are facing a terminal diagnosis, and somebody is going to pop them on the back and say, ah, cheer up, it'll all be all right. That is the stuff That's just scattered on a plate. It's optimism. It may taste good. It may look good. But there's really nothing that makes it whole. Faith takes that optimism. And it roots it. Grounds it. Wraps it in a person that can be known and trusted. And specifically the person of Jesus who is God concarne who is what God looks like, who though we've not seen, we have stories that speak enough to what he's like, and we can come to know him and trust in him for our very life. And so it turns the optimistic, he's in a better place to say, well, because of Jesus, he's at rest in God's eternal embrace. It's substance. It transforms a nice thing to say into, no, it's rooted, it's given shape because of this person. It takes, well, it'll all work out in the end and says, 
No, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and behold, I'm making all things new. And he looks to the new city, the new Jerusalem, the new creation, and he's going to wipe away every tear. And we don't just say, ah, it'll be all right. We say, even though it hurts now, God will make all things new because of Jesus. It's what gives it the substance and the assurance. It's what works in concert. Hope is just optimism unless it's grounded and given shape through faith. Foundation rooted in trusting God turns optimism into insurance. I may not see it all in my lifetime, but I trust God through it. And that, my friends, is the headline that gives context to you want some more illustrations? Here are everyday people who knew even less than you did about God, who had very little written down to tell them the stories. All they had was a nudge. All they had was a story told by their grandmother. And all they had was evidence in everyday life that maybe God really is in this place. And they said, I've seen enough to trust him. So I'm going to hitch my wagon to this God. I don't know the city that lays ahead. I don't know if I'll see everything he's promised in my lifetime. But I'm going to keep walking with him because faith looks to a person and hope looks to the future. But we walk into that uncertain future together, confident that God is faithful. And so we trace that foundation of faith through these stories of our forerunners. We're going to go very quickly. First, the author of Hebrews, and we don't really know who it is. The author of Hebrews starts with creation. So I've referenced where it's in Hebrews chapter 11, and you can also add Genesis 2 to Genesis 1. And then he's also going to echo Psalms 8 and 33. But Hebrews takes us way back to the beginning. And listen, verse 3 is weird to translate, but some Scholars translate it like this. Everything you can see came into being because of the things you can't. No one has ever seen God. We get glimpses and metaphors in the Old Testament of how they spoke to God face to face, but ultimately, we're really interacting with someone beyond all knowledge. But we can see than unseen God. And we see his fingerprints in the stars and creation. And by the way, it takes faith to see the visible world as created and sustained by an invisible creator. Pierre de Teilhard de Hardin says, love is the physical structure of the universe. He was a French philosopher and mystic, and he was a scientist, and he looked and he said, at the root of it all, the whole thing that holds it together is love, and love with a capital L. It takes faith, though, to look through creation and see how it's created and sustained by an invisible creator. That's by faith. Then he moves to Abel, <clears throat> which is in Genesis chapter 4. Abel, you'll remember, was the first murder victim. Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. Cain was jealous because Abel sought to connect with God just like his brother did. 
But God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. Because Abel brought his best. He brought his livestock. And Cain, though longed for and looked for by God, let that jealousy and anger rise up and murder his own brother. And like the writer of Hebrews says, but this Abel, who was murdered and dead, his willingness to connect and offer his best still echoes through the generations. Same with Enoch. Enoch gets like three verses in the Old Testament. You can find them in Genesis chapter 5. But Enoch was like a real famous character in the time just before Jesus. Rabbis loved to spin yarns and stories and tell stories about Enoch because there was something mysterious about how he was just subsumed into the presence of God. I'd like to go that way. No thanks for the hospital bed or no thanks, you know, in a terrible accident. I'll just say, all right, let's do this and get beam me up, God. This is what they say Enoch did. But the author of Hebrews says, I don't care as much about that as I care about the fact that Genesis tells us that he pleased God. And then he says, by the way, for you, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so what's going on with both of these forerunners is that it takes faith to see that we can please God, that God actually accepts us and keeps us, not just in life, but in death. That takes faith. Yes, we all say it to our little ones, well, he's in heaven now. But put a substance under it. Put a trust under it. And if your theology doesn't work on your deathbed, it doesn't work. If your theology doesn't account for pain and brokenness and staring darkness and death in the face and trusting God even through it, you need to do some soul searching and deep diving into the stories of the Bible. Because we see that we can still trust even through the dark. And that God accepts us and keeps us even in the valley of the shadow. Then we move to Noah. Every kid's ministry's favorite genocide. <clears throat> he talks about Noah in verse 7. You can read Noah's story in chapters 6 and 9 of Genesis, through 9 in Genesis. And yeah, it's one thing to ask why God would do what apparently God seems to do. But I think it's another important question to ask, why was the world so bad that it needed that kind of bath? Because it takes faith to see and align ourselves with the justice of God when the world turns their back and follows their own way because as the story of Genesis says, in people's hearts it was just evil all day, every day. And it grieved the heart of God. And Noah, with every plank of wood, every hammer fall, was putting substance into his hope. It wasn't just optimism. It was substance. And he made this ark, as God said, every day being ridiculed. He still trusted God and aligned himself with his justice and the restoring of a balance. 
And then finally, we get to the heavy hitters, the ones we've looked at a little bit in this series. Abraham gets a lot of real estate. He gets verses 8 to 12, and then there's a little interlude that we read about the city and the builder and the architect, the city that they could see in the distance on the horizon, but they didn't really live there. Then he picks up the story of when Abraham brought Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice. You can read Abraham's story in Genesis 12 to 25, and as Dr. Bob Hyatt talked about a few weeks back, Abraham is the guy for all the three major faiths of this world. There's more than just three, but the three faiths of Christianity, of Judaism, and Islam all find their genesis, their beginning in Abraham. And the promise that God made to he and Sarah to have not just a kid, but that they would have so many kids that even outnumbered the stars, Sarah laughs about it because she says that ship has sailed. But eventually Sarah trusts God even still. Why? Because it takes faith to see that God promises and partners with us to make possible what the world believes is impossible. These forerunners were imperfect. To a person, these forerunners were imperfect. Toby preached on Esther. That's about as close as we can get because we know who runs the world, right? Girls. Shout out. If you know, you know. These forerunners were imperfect people, but they trusted God with what they had, what they knew, and what they hoped for. And so these stories are meant to shape us in the face of our uncertainty, in the face of our fear, that we can look to a person, trust God to give us the substance to walk with him through and into an uncertain future. And I love what the author of Hebrews says at the end of the passage we read. And by the way, these imperfect people God was not ashamed of them. God was not ashamed to be called their God. The father did not mind that they bore the family name when they ran around and were an imperfect witness. God delights in you. You are not your worst day. You are not your worst sin. You're not your last sin. You're not the shame and the stories that I tell myself and you tell yourself, you are not that person. God is not ashamed to be called your father. God loves that you bear the family resemblance. He made you in his image. He wants you and longs for you to live into it more and more because we keep settling for garbage stories. And if God can use Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, knuckleheads, all of them, he wants to use you too. Because we're not perfect either. He just wants us to keep walking in hope with the foundation of faith. It says, even though I don't know what the future holds, I know you. There's a story that one of my seminary professors said that I will never forget. Maybe this is my impactful lesson that I remember from college. He tells the story of how he was driving on 635 very late at night. He was leaving a friend's house and he was heading back to his house and there was very few people on the road, but he noticed in the rear view mirror, somebody was making up a lot of ground and they were coming in hot. 
And he kept seeing those headlights coming faster and faster as this car bobs and weaves in and out of lanes. You've seen it. You've driven on 635, not to mention the tollway. And so he's starting to realize that this person is a maniac. There's no way that I can stay here. I've got to drive off. This person's going to kill me. And so it's so bad, and this person is coming so fast that he pulls over to the side, and he lays on his horn as he looks down, because you do it too. You've got to stare at that person. You may not give him one of these, but you're going to give him your eyes. And you look at him as he drives by, and it's in that moment that he realized, oh my goodness, I know him. He goes, that's my father-in-law. And he goes, this guy would never drive over the speed limit. What is he doing driving this late? And he goes on to tell the story that it was in that moment that he realized, I have no idea what exactly he's doing. I don't know exactly why his timing, but I know him. And even though it looks a certain way, I know him well enough that he has a good reason to keep moving the direction that he's moving. And those who have ears to hear can hear. This is what the author of Hebrews is telling us with these stories. They didn't see what lays further down the road. But they knew God enough to keep going. And so we have by faith even more. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses' family. By faith, Moses. Why? Because of Moses' family. How many of us are here not just because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but for me, the God of Don and Barbara and Donna and Kim? Amen? Moses is there because of Moses' family. And Israel's there because of Moses. And then when they started to Occupy the temporary land that is a picture of the city that is for all of us. And no, it's not Jerusalem. It's not a piece of dirt that exists right now in this time. That is just a picture of the new Jerusalem that awaits all of us. But when Israel started to take hold of that temporary piece of land that is still being fought for right now, except thanks be to God for this ceasefire. They walked and they marched around Jericho. And by faith, Rahab, who was not someone that was a part of God's family, became adopted into it. Why? Because she saw enough to say, I want to trust this God. By faith, by faith, by faith. This week, a few of us from our church stood in a hospital room. and We anointed a person and we prayed. And we asked for God to make possible what is seemingly impossible And when we were done, one of the other family members in the room started to say, by faith. He said, I will see. And he spoke what he hoped to see. He said, by faith, I want to see. By faith, I 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 see. And the powerful thing that I think was in the back of our minds is that we ask and trust that God can. But even if he doesn't and we don't see that fulfillment by faith in our lifetime, faith says He's going to bring us through the other side. 
because he did that for Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' family, Moses, Israel, marchers at Jericho, Rahab, and Noah, and Abel, and Enoch, and Abraham, and Sarah, and so many others. And the good news is that we're the beneficiaries of a more fuller story, and that story is the gospel. This is the story. It's the good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And all people are invited to live in God's kingdom, filled with God's spirit, free from sin and death. That's how you gain entry into this family. This family populated by every person and more that we named here tonight. They were all pointing to Jesus. When you open up your Bible in the Old Testament, Jesus stands right there in the center. And everything that came before him was pointing to him. And everything that came after the stories of Jesus that shape us and we shape our lives around, the letters in the New Testament is all looking back to when he walked and talked and lived and died and rose again. And they're still figuring out in 2,000 years the ripple effect of how this story is still changing the world. Every time they sat down for a meal with Gentiles who didn't belong in the Old Testament family, they say this is because Jesus has changed the story. No, he hasn't changed it. He's just fulfilled and focused it. This is where it was always heading. And even though we don't see the city, Jesus says, I've gone to prepare that place for you. Wait a little longer. Because it's for you and every single person that was mentioned in Hebrews 11 and beyond. So until then, I want to leave you with this. Tell yourself these stories. The story of the gospel. Stories that I tried to tell myself today because I have so many negative thoughts that are clamoring for my attention. Would you take one or two of these? Here's a story that could shape you. I am a beloved child of a good father. I am one in whom Christ dwells. I am filled and formed by the Holy Spirit. I am safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God. Even though my life be taken, I'm kept secure in God's arms. I am safe and secure. That one is from James Bryan Smith in his wonderful book, The Good and Beautiful God. But tell yourself that story because that's our story. Hebrews 11 would continue and it would add your name. Because you have a story. So don't become a word. Don't listen to the garbage stories that tell you you're not beloved or you're not worthy or you're not forgiven or you're not free to flourish and be all that God has made you to be. You are one in whom Christ dwells and he delights and he's not ashamed to be in you. You're filled and formed and shaped by the very breath of God, the Holy Spirit, bringing order and goodness in your life out of the chaos. And no matter what would happen, you are safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God. And so for all these reasons and more, we close with where the story goes that began at new crea- it began at creation, it ends at new creation. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and then we'll receive communion. Because of all that, as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the forerunner, pioneer, and perfecter of faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him and his story, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Gracious God, we are thankful for these stories, and we ask that they would shape us more fully than the stories of consumerism and individualism. And we ask that we would be molded more and more into the image of Jesus, our Lord. And that as we come to his table, that we are nourished by the bread and the juice, because that's a story that we get to ingest and embody, that we are freed and forgiven, for that is good news indeed. So bless us and keep us. Be present here among us. In Jesus' name we pray. As we go from here, hear again the promises of God made long ago to our forefathers and mothers and still true for us today. I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done everything I have promised. Let's go from here in the assurance that our faithful God goes with us in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.